Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is. We're changing keys. All right. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Come on, sing it if you know it. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. The blood that Jesus for me way 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 back back on Calvary it's the blood that gives me strength from day to grateful for it from day to day it will never lose its power for it reaches come on sing
thankful for the blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. John chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. I realize the time, but I want to get into the word of the Lord today. John chapter 11 and verse number 1. Very simple passage and familiar of Scripture. Once again, thank you for allowing me to be here today. It is an honor and a privilege. John 11 and verse number 1, it reads, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, when, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Let's preach for a few moments this morning on the simple subject, when you can't find God. When you can't find God. Will you lift your hands one more time, and let's talk to the Lord just for a minute, everybody in the house. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we're grateful for you. We're thankful for the spirit that we feel in this house today. Give you praise, and give you glory, and give you honor, for there is none like you. Let your word fall on good ground today. Let it fall on ground that people would hear and leave changed. I thank you, God, for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. What a sweet presence we feel in the house. And I'm thankful for what I feel. The story from which we are taking our passage today is only recorded in the Gospel of John. The other Gospels don't paint this picture and this portion of the life of Jesus. It is right before the Pharisees begin their plot to kill Jesus and right after he has told his disciples and his followers that they should know that the Father is in me and I in him, essentially reaffirming to them that there were not three in the Godhead, but that he was God manifest in the flesh. Amen. Aren't you thankful you know who you're serving today? Amen. I'm not confused about who I'm serving, but I'm thankful. John said, I saw only one sitting on the throne. I'm not three, not a mirage, not a, not a sovereign uh, group of deities up there, but he said, I saw one sitting on the throne, and I'm thankful I know that and have that revelation today. 
I know who I'm serving, and I'm thankful for that. And he has just told him that he is God, and now they're angry at him, and they try and take a hold of him, and he escapes their grasp. And the next thing we read in the book of John is the beginning of the story of Lazarus. The setting for this story is in Bethany where his dear friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And Jesus had frequented this house in this city because the Bible says he loved them. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord when wiped his feet with her hair. And we read about Jesus coming to this house before when he had rebuked Martha and told her, you worry too much. You're concerned with much. You've got a lot going on in that mind of yours. But Mary, you have found the good part. How many want to find the good part today? Amen. And, and Mar Mary, you found the good part. And I, I guess if you've been rebuked by Jesus and he still loves coming to your house, then he must really like you. And, and he, he did. He had a special relationship with them, so much so that when Lazarus falls ill, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus telling him, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. And Jesus speaks this and receives this word and immediately speaks a powerful word of faith and tells them this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Praise God. Don't you love when God speaks something and says it's going to be all right? Amen. Don't you love when you get the word you've been waiting for, you've been praying, you've been fasting, and all of a sudden the word comes that you've been waiting for, and God speaks and says it's going to be all right, and pastor says it's going to be all right, and you know the word of God says it's going to be all right. I finally got the word I've been waiting. God is still speaking. In the hour in which we're living, God is still giving the words that we need. Maybe you came in here needing a word today into this beautiful house of God, needing a word from God. Let me tell you, God is still speaking today. Amen. God is still talking today. You just got to open up your mind. You got to open up your heart and receive the word that he has for you. But when Jesus speaks this word, this powerful word of faith, the Bible says he does something opposite than what we would expect. The Bible doesn't say that he rushed to Bethany. It doesn't say he dropped everything he was doing and said, let's go, disciples. He didn't get into a rush and get to where the problem and the issue was. But instead, after he speaks this powerful word of faith, the Bible says that he speaks it and abides Two days in the same place. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Lazarus, the one you love, is deathly sick. And you just said this sickness isn't unto death, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And now you're just sitting here playing checkers with your disciples and abiding. He didn't rush to Bethany and perform a miracle. He didn't make it a priority to get to where the problem and the issue was. He simply stays where he is and abides there for two days. He, he stays. He doesn't move. But his priority at that moment was to simply 
abide. And sometimes abiding may not seem like a needed or a desired priority, especially when it seems like everything's going wrong, especially when it seems like the world is going crazy, especially when it seems like everything around you is just chaos and turmoil, and you find yourself asking the question, where is God? Where is God? In Matthew 13, 24, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the tare. The man had sown good seed in his field, but when he slept, the enemy came in and began to sow weeds among the wheat, so that when the wheat came up, so did the weeds. And the servants come to him and they ask him, Master, do you want us to go pull the weeds out of the field? And the master tells them, no, just leave them alone because at the end, it's going to be a different story. But if you go out and pull up the weeds now, you're also going to pull up the wheat. And when harvest time comes, just go out and pull them both up. Then you gather the weeds together and you burn them. Then you gather the wheat together and you go put it in my barn. But if you go pull everything up now, you're going to mess the whole harvest up. So leave it alone and abide. And at the end, there will be a harvest. And as people, our flesh often wants to rush in and fix the issue instead of standing still and knowing he is God. And that's where we get into trouble most of the time. And we mess everything up because most of the time his priorities aren't our priorities. And his ways aren't our ways. And his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And Jesus is saying, wait, but your flesh is saying, go. Come on. Jesus is saying, hold on just a minute. But your flesh is saying, I got to get to Bethany and I got to fix the issue. And one of the hardest things the children of Israel had to do in the Old Testament was to march around the city of Jericho every day without saying a word, without shooting an arrow, without throwing a spear. But their orders are simply to march. you got to understand, they finally crossed over the river and they're in the promised land. They finally come into the land that's flowing with milk and honey where they're going to have houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and wells they didn't dig and it's going to be a place of abundance and blessing. And they finally crossed over and they're so excited to finally walk into this land they've been promised for so many years. But now they come to the first obstacle in their way. They come to Jericho and all of a sudden they're going to take this city down because God has promised us this land and now all of a sudden their orders are just to march don't say a word don't shoot an arrow don't throw a spear now you're, what, do you, what do you mean we're just supposed to be marching aren't we supposed to be conquering the enemy aren't we supposed to be doing all of these things and God is teaching them no because in order to conquer your adversary you first got to conquer yourself or else you're going to wind up doing something crazy and end up dead on a battlefield somewhere. The battle in Jericho was more about defeating the Israelites' ego than it was conquering the enemy. And God is teaching them that if you're going to conquer what I have for you, you're going to do it my way. You think it ought to happen this way. You think your miracle ought to come like this. You think your breakthrough ought to happen in this time frame. No, no, no. God is teaching them it's going to happen my way. I 
had the opportunity to go to France not too long ago, and I found out that in France, they don't do things like we do here. When you go sit down to eat dinner in France, you sit down to eat dinner in France. I'm the type of guy, I'm, I'm a recluse by nature. My idea of dinner is going through Taco Bell, getting 10 tacos, eating five on the way home, throwing the wrappers on the floor, and who cares who sees them, eating the other five when I get back home, and that's dinner to me. But over there I found out that's not the way. You sit down to dinner, and 30 minutes later they bring you the bread and the water. And 30 minutes later they bring you the main course. And 30 minutes later, they bring you dessert. And 30 minutes later, you're ready to go. After two to two and a half hours, that's dinner. I, I wasn't used to that. I'm just a recluse by nature. And you have to be really interesting for me to talk to you for two to two and a half hours. I, I'm just not a very big talker. And so I learned that during dinner, you just have to abide. <laughs> and I'm not used to that. But, but, but. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and abiding is a priority at that moment. And meanwhile, back in Bethany, everybody's asking, where is God? Where is God? And we've got to remember that with, am I all right today? We've got to remember that with God, nothing just happens. But rather, all things are working together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And the phrase work together that Paul uses here in this verse means to cooperate or come together when it's about his will. You've got to remember that he's forming you and molding you. But oftentimes, because of our impatience, we get our priorities mixed up and we try to get to Bethany to fix the problem in the middle of the molding process. Because we want to control everything. Our human nature is to try and fix everything. When perhaps the Lord sometimes is just trying to teach us to abide so at the end of the day he can get the glory for everything we're going through. There will be a resurrection at the end of the day. But by definition, the only way a resurrection can take place is something first has to die. How can God intervene and fix the issue if we keep trying to resurrect it? The reality is we refuse to let things die that are supposed to die all because our human nature is to try and control things. We fear the unknown and we get our priorities mixed up and we try to keep things alive that are supposed to pass on. We try to keep dreams alive. We try to keep ambitions alive. We try to keep relationships alive. And God is saying, let it die. And this leaves us worn out, tired, emotionally drained frustrated, trying to breathe life into bones that only the Spirit can resurrect. And God is nowhere to be found. And He's not answering. And we, we think that because we don't have an immediate answer, that automatically gives us the right to go out and build a golden calf. And in times of distraction, when God is hidden on the mountain, don't try and substitute His silence. You've got to learn to guard your spirit. You've got to learn to guard your words. You've got to learn to guard your worship because sometimes God not answering is God answering. Because if God were to answer every one of your prayers right away, your faith would never be built to the place where it can be effective and you would be weak 
and you would be spiritually anemic. But the reality is God loves you enough to stay silent so you can discover who you were meant to be and you can grow in understanding and you can grow in wisdom. Thank God he loved me enough not to answer when I thought he should have answered. Thank God he loved me enough not to come through when I thought he should have came. God loved you enough not to do what you asked when you asked it. I can always tell when somebody's about to make shipwreck because they will start making quick decisions that make absolutely no sense while in the middle of a trial. And I'm thinking, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. You don't understand why you are where you are right now. You don't understand why God's bringing you through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't understand why you're walking through all of these things that seem like hell to you. You don't understand why what's happening to you is in the perfect will of God. But you're trying to push. I feel the Holy Ghost. You're trying to push back against the will of God. And God is saying, please don't do that. You don't understand that I'm molding you. And I'm forming you and I'm trying to get you to a place where you can reign on high with me so that you can and they do it after I say please don't do that please and they find themselves where they don't want to be because when they couldn't find God they went ahead and made a decision that all of a sudden is now affecting their future Jesus' priority wasn't to get to where Lazarus was to save the day. His priority was just to abide and let Lazarus die because he knew a resurrection was coming. And until some things truly die in our lives and we align our purpose and priorities with what God values, he can never do a completed work. You're saying to yourself, I don't know why it happened. Maybe if I just try this, it'll fix it. I don't know why they left. Maybe if I just try to get them back one more time, everything will be okay. I don't know why I lost the job. Maybe if I just go try this one more time. Hear me, somebody hear a word. Stop trying to control things you don't understand and trying to resurrect things that only God can bring back to life in his own time. Sometimes you just got to learn to abide. There's got to come a point where you say, okay, God, it's in your hands and I'm taking it out of mine. Have questions about your life? Trust and abide. Wondering what your future is? Trust and abide. Asking why are some things taking place? Sometimes you just got to learn to trust and abide because the longer I serve the Lord, I find that timing is everything with God. Timing's everything with God. And I get in trouble when I get out of his timing. But what are you doing in the meantime? You can be seated. Time, I, I, I'm not going to be much longer, but time passes and Jesus finally says, okay, disciples, let's go to Judea again. And his disciples tell him, you're crazy. Why would you want to go back to Judea? Don't you remember the last time they were, you were there? They wanted to stone you. you. You told them you were God, and then they decided they wanted to kill you, and then you pulled that whole disappearing magic act thing and just walked off into thin air, but we were standing there, and they turned and looked at us, and we had to run. Don't you remember that? Why would you want to go back into Judea again? 
Why would you want to? And they think God's crazy for wanting to go back there. And there was only one that stands up. One man stands up and says, if he's going to die, I'm going to go die with him. We know, about, we know about one moment when he doubted, doubting Thomas. But he should have been called faithful Thomas because when everybody else was doubting, he was, he was the only one that stood up and said, if that's where he's going, I'm going with him. If that's what he's doing, I'm going to do it with him. If that's where he's walking, I'm going to, we got to pray that spirit of Thomas gets on the church in this last day. It says, we, we, we don't understand everything that's going on. We don't know everything that's happening around us. Nothing makes sense. But if that's the way the Lord is moving, that's where I want to go. If that's the way he's flowing, that's where I want to do. If it takes a baptism to interrupt service and throw out the schedule, I don't care. That's what we're going to do. Because I just want to be where God is. I just want to go where he's moving. I just want to flow where he's flowing. Come on, somebody. I just want to do what he's doing. I don't care if people think I'm crazy or inside. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to go where he's going. And they call him, why would you want to go to Judea? And he tells them, because Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And, and they go and they get to Bethany about two miles from Jerusalem. And they find that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And Martha, Martha runs out of the house. And she begins to scream at him. And she said, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have answered when I thought you should have answered, my brother would still be breathing. If you would have come through when I thought you should have come through, my brother would still be alive today. And Jesus looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha, thinking that He's going to rise again on that final resurrection day when all the dead in Christ rise. I know, I know that you're going to bring the church up. We're going to meet you in the clouds of glory. And it's going to be a great and mighty day when all the oceans give up the dead that are in them. The graves open wide and everybody begins to rise to meet him in the air. That's, and I'm looking forward to heaven, folks. I don't know about you. But that, and that's going to be a great, great day. But Martha, thinking that he's talking about that day, says, I know he's going to rise again on that final resurrection. I know that's going to happen. And Jesus looks at her and says, hang on. You don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he that believes in me, though he were yet dead, yet shall he live. And we'll get to preaching in just a moment. Hold on. And he asks Mary and Martha, where have you laid him? And they take him to the cave of Lazarus. And there he begins to weep. He's weeping because of the lackluster amount of faith in his friends. He's weeping because his friend is dead. He's weeping. The Bible said Jesus wept. He wept. He began to cry. And he tells them, take the stone. We just preached about it a couple weeks ago. Take the stone away. Take the stone away. He tells them, you ready? You do what you can so I can do what you can't. You do what you can do so I can do what you cannot. Take the stone away. You can't raise him from the dead, but I can because I'm the resurrection 
and I am the life. You can't bring him back to life. But And in Pentecost, we've gotten this stigma to where, okay, God, if you really wanted us to have revival, you would just send us revival. If you really wanted us to have breakthrough, you would really send us breakthrough. If you really wanted us to have all of these great things that you're saying is going to happen in the last day, you're just going to send it without us doing anything. And that's not what God is saying. God is saying, when your faith mixes with my glory, that's when I can begin to let signs and miracles and wonders be in. But us thinking it's not going to happen without us doing anything. That's, 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 not even, that's not even close to the realm of truth. Because God is just waiting for us to at the bare minimum ask. And you shall receive. And if we really want revival in the last days in which we're living, we're going to have to at least do what we can do. I can't raise somebody from the dead, but I can pray. I can't do the miraculous, but I can fast. I can't do all of these things that everybody wants to see. But what I can do is get on my face in an altar and say, God, just let me do whatever I can you got to start pushing yourself. you got to start dragging yourself to get out of your mediocrity and lethargy and say, God, I want to do what I can so you can do what I can not do. How bad do you want to see revival? How bad do you want to see a breakthrough? How bad do you want to see miracles and signs and wonders? you got to start doing what you can so God can do what you cannot This is an impossible task for us. We can't do it without him. But when I get in touch with him, when I get a hold of him, when I begin to talk with him, he says, okay, you're doing what you can do. Now let me do what you cannot do. Let me do what you cannot do. I don't have the ability to raise the dead, but he does. I don't have the ability to get you the job you need, but he does. I don't have the ability to put the marriage back together, but he does. I don't have the ability to make the way happen in the middle of the desert, but the Bible says he makes ways in the wilderness. He makes streams in the desert. He can do anything, but I've got to do what I can so he can do. What I can't. And he tells them, take the stone away. And and Martha runs up to him again. Martha. She's like the modern day Karen. (laughs) And she runs up to him and says, But God, he stinks. Don't you know he's been dead four days? His flesh is rotting. He's decomposing. Don't you know he's been dead for four days? Why would you tell him to take, and I can just see, Martha, go stand over there for a few minutes kind of rolling his eyes and he cries out and he says and I believe all of hell heard him that day I believe all of heaven heard him that day and he cries out Lazarus 
forth. And the Bible says, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. And now Lazarus is living again because God and God alone has wrought a miracle. But why did he wait four days? I mean, the people in that day believed that the soul remained with the body for three days after death. Even the pagans believed that the gods could not revive somebody who had been dead for more than four days, three days. So by abiding until Lazarus has been dead four days, Jesus was demonstrating the power of his miracle. He was showing everybody he was the resurrection. And he was the life. And when he says something lives, something's got to live. And when he says something breathes, something's got to breathe. And when he says something comes forth, I don't care how long it's been dead, something comes forth. Some of you have had prophecies spoken over your life. Some of you have had words from God that you have not seen come to pass yet. But let me tell you and give you an encouraging word. Call me Caleb today, positive and encouraging. Let me give you an encouraging word. There is a fourth day coming. And if God said it, if God said it, he is not a liar and his word will not fall short. It's forever settled. So until I see the fourth day, I'm going to keep on clapping. Until I see the fourth day, I'm going to keep on shouting. Until I see the fourth day, Pastor, I'm going to keep on being faithful. I'm not going to quit. The devil didn't get me during COVID and he's sure not going to get me now. The enemy couldn't take me down because I know there's a fourth day coming and until I see the fourth day you're not going to find me just sitting around you're not going to find me just sitting idle I'm going to shout I'm going to worship I'm going to clap I'm going to jump I'm going to run I'm going to be faithful I'm going to pay tithes because I know there is a fourth Come on, I came to preach to somebody today. Maybe your faith is hanging by a thread and you drag yourself into the house of God to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it another day. Let me preach to you and give you hope. There is a fourth day coming. Let me say it again. There is a fourth day coming. It may not look like it on the second day. It may not look like it on the third day. But there is a fourth day coming. So don't you quit. Don't you stop. Don't you just be lethargic. No, 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 no. Even if you haven't seen it yet, you keep on believing. You keep on praying. You keep on receiving. Because God has never left you. He's never, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. He's never forsaken you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I call him. And at the mention of his, at the mention of his name, He's there. I wish somebody would throw up your hands right now and you would just call on him. God, I need strength. God, I need hope. 
I don't know how I'm going to make it another day. But there's a fourth day. Come on, I wish somebody would just throw up your hands right now and just praise him for a minute because there's a fourth day coming. It don't look good now, but there's a fourth day coming. Doesn't look promising now, but there's a fourth day coming. Doesn't look like it's going to happen right now, but there's a fourth day coming. And let me serve notice on hell right now. On the fourth day, we're going to baptize more people than we've ever baptized. On the fourth day, we're going to see more people prayed through than we've ever seen prayed through. On the fourth day, we're going to see more signs, miracles, and wonders than we've ever seen before. So in the meantime, guard your worship. Guard your spirit. Guard your words. Because there is a fourth Die coming. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And the fourth day is beginning to dawn. I see our world right now. I see the craziness. I see the insanity, stuff I've never seen before. And I find myself asking the question, where is God? Doesn't he see what the church is going through? Doesn't he see my problems? Doesn't he see my family situation? Doesn't he see everything that's happening? Doesn't he see everything? And every prophet that I've heard has tried to articulate where God is right now has been wrong. Because it's changing on a day-to-day basis now. It's changing one moment to the next. Every day is different. Stuff we never predicted was going to happen is happening from day to day to day to day now. And it seems like every time I try to find God, he's somewhere else. It seems like right now God's a million miles away on Mars somewhere. And I find myself asking, where is God? The answer is, I don't know, but I do know there is a fourth day coming. And God is going to get glory somehow. I don't know how, but it's going to, it's going to happen. And on the fourth day, a resurrection is coming. Stand with me if you would. If you would, media team, take me to Luke chapter number 2. Take me to verse number 41, please. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41. I love this story. It, begin to, it begins to tell the story of Jesus when he's a young boy. He's about 12 years old. And the Bible says Mary and Joseph and Jesus go through the traditions and they went to the feast of the Passover as they did every year. And Jesus is 12 and they went to Jerusalem afterwards, the custom of the feast. They did it every single year and everybody's just ready to go and everybody's loving what's happening. And it's the custom of the feast. It's it's happening. And so they go and they go through the customs and they go through the traditions. And after they've fulfilled the days, they're returning back home. And Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and Mary didn't know it. 
And Joseph looks at Mary and says, have you, have you seen Jesus? And Mary looks at Joseph. No, I haven't seen him. Maybe he's overplaying with John. John, have you seen Jesus? Elizabeth, have you seen Jesus? No, we thought he was with you. And Mary and Joseph begin to ask, where is God? Where is God? They didn't even know it till a day after they started back on their journey. How do you lose God? And after they notice that he's gone, they turn around and begin their journey back to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that after three days, what comes after three? On the fourth day, they find him sitting in the temple, sitting in the middle of all of the doctors and the lawyers. Everybody's asking him questions. Everybody's talking to him. Everybody's trying to hear what he has to say because he is the word. And I guess if you are the word, then you know the word. And they're asking him questions and everybody's mind is astounded. And they're all astonished at his understanding and all of his answers. And Mary runs up to him after everybody's amazed and said, Son! Why have you done this to us? Don't you know we've been crying? Don't you know we've had tears? Don't you know we couldn't find you? Don't you know that we've been trying to see where you were? Don't you know we've been asking everybody, where is God? And Jesus looks at her. I love his answer. I said, why were you even looking for me? Don't you know I've been doing what I've always done? Don't you know I've been making ways where there were no ways? Don't you know I've been making ways in the wilderness and streams and rivers in the desert and I've been working all things together for your good when you couldn't find? Why were you even worried about where I was? I already told you I was never going to leave you or forsake you. And you're, I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Why were you even wondering? Don't you know I've just been doing what I've always done. And I've just been about my father's business. What do you do when you can't find God? I've learned, Pastor Gilbert, that I can not always anticipate his methods, but I can trust his character. And if he said it, he means it. And he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so when I can't find God, I just got to learn to trust him. And even when I don't understand it, I gotta learn to trust him. And musicians, you can come, but even when I don't see it, he's working. And even when I don't feel him, he's working. Even when I can't sense his presence, I know that he's working all things together for my good. And my faith is not built on what I can see, my faith is built on the fact there is a fourth day coming. And while I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I don't understand everything that's happening around me, I'm not going to stop. There's a fourth day coming. I wish you'd throw up your hands right now.
And I wish you'd just praise him. Even if you haven't seen your miracle come to pass yet, that does not deter the fact that God is not working. That does not mean anything that you haven't seen him come to pass yet. God is waiting for the right time and he's waiting for the right moment just so he can get some glory for everything you're going through. I don't know why you're walking through hell. I don't know why your siblings aren't living for the Lord. I don't know why mom and dad aren't living for God. But you just keep on believing. Oh, you just keep on praying because there's coming a day on the fourth day. They're going to walk through those back doors. They're going to run down to an altar. They're going to throw their hands towards heaven. And they're going to say, create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, renew a right spirit within me. Come on, Mom. Don't you stop praying for that daughter. Come on, Dad. Don't you stop praying for that son. There's a fourth day coming. Come on, every hand lifted across the building today. Come on, every voice raised in the building today. I don't know where God's at right now, but I do know the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So my mind is made up. My spirit is resolute. I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I'm not giving up. But I'm going to keep on living for him. I'm going to keep on serving him. I'm going to keep on being faithful. I'm going to keep on paying tithes. I'm going to keep on giving offerings. Because I know there's a fourth day. Come on, will you lift your hands one more time, everybody? I feel a sweet presence of the Lord sweeping across this place today. Come on, maybe you came in here just hanging by a thread of hope and your faith feels dead. Oh, maybe you came in searching for God today. Maybe you came into this house needing something from God. I'm telling you, your answer is in the house today. Come on, I'm telling you, your answer is in the house today. Jesus is walking up and down the aisle saying, come on, why don't you call out to me? Come on, why don't you call out to me? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Come on, why don't you step out of where you are right now? Why don't you step out of your seat and make your way down to the front saying, oh God, Come on, I'm going to love you even more. I'm going to serve you even more. I'm going to be faithful even more because I know there's a fourth day coming. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. Oh, I worship you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in our midst. Yes, come on, that's moving it. Moving in our midst. I worship you. Just lift your hands right I now. Let's Work. 
this place. I worship you. Come on, that's it, everybody I across the building today. Come on, let's love him right I now. Call him hey. I will. 